Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anytime anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Welcome, one and all, to the SEC Football Show. I am Chris Landry, your humble host, taking you through the week that was in SEC football. So much to get to. Some big time. Hey, the Vols get a big win. Alabama takes care of the Aggies. Mizzou takes care of Ole Miss. Arkansas drops one to Kentucky Vanderbilt, a tough loss. But headlined by big win in Baton Rouge by LSU against the Florida Gators. And South Carolina with a big upset against Georgia. We're going to get into all of it. What does it mean? How did it look? How did it happen? Why did it happen? And where do we go from here? A lot of stuff to unwrap in today's show. A couple of reminders. Uh, We want you to join good friend T.J. Pittenger, and really the brains behind all of this, these podcasts that we do. Of course, you know, if you've been with us from the very beginning, T.J. and I did this show together, along with the ACC show. Schedules, particularly mine, with trying to get all the film work done and do all my scouting work, just made it very difficult for him and I to get the schedules to tape it. So we've kind of, hey, look, I'll do the X's and O, the football part of it, and do my part, and then TJ, obviously, uh, so good at bringing his perspective on the teams that he wants to really sink his teeth in. So we are tickled pink to introduce to you, from the peak to the pit, yes, TJ Pittenger and Allie Peak discuss college football and more, and Allie's a lifelong Gator. TJ's a Seminole. So they provide an interesting perspective. And so uh, getting them uh, together is always a lot of fun. They'll take a look at Florida, Florida State, uh, and they'll look at the surroundings around the college game on top of the ACC, SEC, all things. So check it out at Big 3 Roll-Up and at LandryFootball.com where you can find it. So really excited to have from the peak to the pit. Also thrilled and honored to have sponsoring this show and all the shows at Big 3 Roll Up, the great folks at 401K Generation, uh, led up, head up by Eddie Rojas, and 
always like to say it's 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 always good to have someone that's an expert that's trained that has the credentials has the licensings to provide you with all the impact that you need to answer all your financial investment inquiries and you know for example if you got a business and let's say you're interested in setting up a 401k for your employees he and his staff can help with that let's say you left the job and say you had a 401k and you wish to Take it and roll it over to an IRA. How do you do that? Well, they can help answer those questions. Is it the right thing to do? How to do it? Where to put it? Do you have your money invested in the right places? That's what I always want to know. So if you got any questions on money management and want to know more about investments, call Eddie Rojas and the team at 401k Generation. You can reach him via phone or text at 866-998-5879. Eddie's a huge Gator fan, college football fan, and uh, he definitely, he and his staff will take good care of you. He's just he's just like one of you, but he's an expert in the financial services industry, and he can give you help. Again, 866-998-5879. So, the week that was. <clears throat> We're going to start um, with a big upset. South Carolina on against Georgia. How did it happen? Why does it happen? Uh, kind of breaking down, we know that in today's college football, as it has really been <clears throat> for a long time, forever, we've always had upsets. It's maybe a little bit unusual to have maybe this type of an upset for a team that's this highly rated and highly regarded. But um, it certainly was a surprise to me that it ended up being in South Carolina's favor. But the one thing that in studying the tape, let's give South Carolina their due because no one's doing that. This is all about Georgia losing it, not about South Carolina winning it. And I think that's a little unfair, but let's not get it out of the way, but let's talk about really what they were able to do. They came in with an idea that we need to stop their run and we need to commit whatever we need to do to stop that run and Force those receivers to win in coverage, and we will challenge you to cover these guys. We think you can cover these guys, and we're going to play the run with numbers. We're going to mix up our pressures, and we're going to force them to to win in the air and force them to be aggressive, and we're going to take advantage of it. And they executed on defense. Offensively, they did some good things. I think the fact that they got some field position, some short fields, some points, it really helped them out. Obviously, a pick six, four turnovers. If you want to go and say, what happened? Well, what happened was four turnovers. You're negative four in the turnover margin, probably losing. Okay? You're losing that game. Now, why did the turnovers take place? Remember, I always ask why, right? Well, from Georgia's standpoint, let's break down what they have been and what they are inside the film room. Now, I'm going to get into more detail with this on LandryFootball.com when we have time. But in a short order, we've talked about Georgia. They are built as a line of scrimmage team. They want to pound it on you. They want to compress the game. And they will gradually kind of wear you down. That's what Kirby has been about. It's been a part his time at Alabama. It's what he believes in. It's what he's learned. 
and he's a defensive guy. One of the things that they're not able to do, and that they identified this last spring, was they didn't think they would be real effective throwing it as well as maybe ideally you'd like. So that made them more committed towards we got to run the football, we got to play a clean game. And when you don't play a clean game and you turn it over, you know, it's the one you hear me preach a lot about, you know, you got to have balance, you got to be able to run it, you got to be able to chew clock and and protect the lead and still score, but don't give that opposition an extra couple of possessions, take them away, okay, and protect the football. Big believer in that. But it's also important that in today's game, if you can only run and you can't throw it well enough, you're going to have trouble. And I think this is something that Georgia has got a lot of work to do from here on out. And if they don't correct it, this won't be the only loss. This could get – this could be a wake-up call. It could be a come-to-Jesus, not in the change of philosophy. That fundamentally won't change. But how they work and develop the passing game is something they've got to become better with. For example, they've got a quarterback that throws on time, that throws on rhythm. If you've got receivers that are a little bit off when they break routes, if they break it wrong, everything breaks wrong. You had two picks that were really not Jake Fromm's fault, and there were two that were. So, you know, when, you, when you're built on precision and the precision's knocked off a little bit, then you're in trouble. As opposed to, let's say, and everybody has a certain amount of precision, but like, for example, let's take Clemson last year. Freshman quarterback. People will say, oh, look at that, man, you know. Trevor Lawrence was great as a freshman, and he did all these things. He didn't make those mistakes. That offense is different. They've got big receivers. Trevor can escape from pressure, throw it off of different platforms, meaning he can throw it rolling right or left. And he throws a lot of 50-50 balls that his receivers win and come up with. There's not a lot of precision. Um, you've seen a little bit this year. They've not been as good, Clemson, without a, a very effective slot guy in Hunter Renfro. But still, it's a, I like to call it, use a basketball analogy, feed the ball into the post to the big guys. It's kind of type of an offense. Whereas Georgia's offense is built more in rhythm, on timing. We've seen you know, people uh, look at the offensive line. How did the offensive line play? Well, the offensive line gave the quarterback time to make plays. But there again, if you're built on rhythm and timing and it's a little bit off, you got some problems. You, you certainly got to work to get that rhythm, but I think you also have to look at ways out. And I think one of the things that they felt they had last year is that they had the ability to work the back shoulder fate. And that's all timing. That's all just finding the rhythm, getting it done. You know, it's just grooving a swing. It's, it's, that's what that is. And if you don't have that with those two guys, you're not going to be as good with that. And so they're not as comfortable running that. So they're a little bit more reliant on the line of scrimmage game. And 
they weren't as effective. South Carolina did their best to take it out, take it away from them. And Georgia was not effective enough. Okay, well, turnovers. Well, turnovers just don't happen. The reason for turnovers. They're unforced errors. They're forced errors. You heard me discuss that. Well, partly because of the, the coverage looks and partly because the receivers making some mistakes and some bad throws by Jake was a problem. You had some issues at center was a problem, and that contributed to further issues. So all of that led to mistakes. And again, if you're an explosive team, you can it, – it may mean the difference between scoring 45 or, you know, 38 points. But when you're a team that's going to maximize at about 24, 28 points, all of a sudden it may not be enough. If you give them six points and a pick six and a big mistake, you give them a short feel, all of a sudden you're in the game. All of a sudden, you lose a game, and that's what happened. Um, there's greater detail to get into, and, we, and I'll get, get get into it on LandryFootball.com, and that's why you want to become a member there. Um, you know, that is really what happens in games like this. It's basically style versus style. And so where does Georgia go from here? <clears throat> well, Georgia, you know, in a game like against an Auburn, if they're not able to score more points, that game could be really close. Uh, they may have more talent than Florida, but that game could get really close. And Because if you don't have the ability to score a lot of points, then just common sense that you don't have a lot of points, then you know the, the margin is likely going to be a little narrower, which means – if you make a mistake, you put the ball on the ground, you turn it over, then that's when, hey, narrow margin of victory becomes narrow margin of defeat. It's a fine line. And I think so their margin of error because of their style of play is the big issue right now. Now, it's not the time to – you can't change your style of play. They're not going to become a an RPO team or do. I mean, they're not going to do that. But I think they can do certain things to to create opportunities. Their receivers are not getting open. Okay, we call that the receivers are not winning. That just means that they're not getting open, and they're not. And, and when you don't get open in a timing based passing offense, you're not hitting the spot quick enough where the ball is designed to come out to a spot at a certain time. And if they're not there, then it's an incompletion, it's an interception. It's, you know, so, you know, and, and from is not, you know, you don't wait till guys get open. Well, a lot of people do at the college level. That's the big reason why there's a, an adjustment to the pro game because, you know, everything is timing-based. But in college, you have guys that will just sling it a little bit and work the back shoulder, work the RPO. What I think they have to be a little creative with is trying to isolate guys to get open, scheme guys open a little more because they're not able to win and get open on their own. You've got to scheme them open a little bit more in the passing game. I think you've got to make sure that you can run the football. And in order to make sure that you can run the football if you're Georgia, which is that's where your, your bread is buttered, 
you've got to be able to work the passing game effective enough so that they can't load the box on you. And if they do, you make them pay. You have to be able to make them pay. And if you can't make them pay, you're going to have trouble. You're going to have trouble. Um, I think... While it's doom and gloom, I see potential there to make corrections to where they can navigate their schedule. I do think Auburn and Florida are challenges, big-time challenges. But I think they're winnable for Georgia. I, I don't think they're they're playing the type of game right now that would beat Alabama or beat LSU. Uh, I don't know that that's going to be – something they can improve enough to do. We shall see if they're able to do it. I hear a lot about, well, doesn't really hurt Georgia because if they went out, they're in. Well, yeah, if they went out, they're in. Big if. I think it hurts Georgia a lot because my thinking going in was this Georgia team would likely go through their schedule. I didn't think they'd lose to South Carolina. And I thought they could navigate Florida and Auburn and still might be able to and be unbeaten. And if they lose in a close game potentially to an Alabama or, in this case, an LSU, the way LSU's playing, you could make the case of a one-loss Georgia team getting into the playoffs. Last year, Georgia was eliminated from the playoffs because, yeah, because they lost the conference championship game. But you know what? They also lost it because they lost to LSU. And I think this is an even tougher loss because it's at home against a weaker opponent in South Carolina than LSU was last year when they lost to LSU and Tiger Stadium. So I, I think it's a tougher loss, and certainly another loss eliminates them, and I don't think that's out of the question. And I, I think that it is enough that's going on to make them understand some things that they've got to do, but this is tough because this has been built outside the program as their year. Great offensive line, great backs, quarterback that's played for a while, good defense, program that's been to big-time games. It's their year. Well, right now their offense, right now their offense does not match up and it is not good enough to get it done. We'll see if they can make those changes. It's a challenge. I throw this out as well. Some game management critiques have been going on on Kirby Smart. I do think they're fair. You know, listen, all's fair, and I'm going to get criticism. It's the way the world works. A lot of it's inaccurate, but some of it is accurate. I think the fact that they've got two new coordinators, um, only heightens maybe the need to feel the need to maybe jump in. Because I'm going to tell you, I noticed it, that on defense, Kirby was involved in what they were calling on defense and heavily involved to the point where maybe it was somewhat distracting at handling his head coach and game management duties. I thought at the end, it was a real cluster. You got a chance to kick a 55-yard field goal. Uh, I, I uh, 
wholeheartedly agree with trying to pick up a few more yards. But you got to have a clear decision for that play, and you can't be changing it at the line of scrimmage with three seconds left. That's the quarterback being – for him to think he has the freedom to do that is wrong and needs to be corrected in that situation. you got to run the play. You can't put yourself in a situation where you lose five yards. And for people to say, oh, just try it. Again, people's knowledge of football. Try it. What's the worst that can happen? You miss it. No, the worst that can happen is a low kick because it's a long kick. It's blocked and it's returned and you lose the game. Or in a a weird case, you can't have another kick six again, can you? Well, you know, we know that there's some bad things can happen and the safe play would be to kick it 55, certainly 50. I think they feel a little bit more comfortable. The other thing, too, is how comfortable were they? He not only missed the short kick to extend the game, um, he missed one earlier. So there are some operation time issues. All of that, I think, factors in. But, look, that's a tough loss for Georgia. It's a bad look for Georgia. But I would say that the biggest concern is needing to fix some things, not changing of scheme, but being more efficient execution-wise on what they're doing in some of their passing game. It's a great win for South Carolina. What does it mean for them? Uh, Well, for South Carolina and Will Muschamp, he wasn't going to get fired because Ray Tanner doesn't want to fire him and they don't want to pay him off. But if there was any heat on him, and a lot of out, any outside pressure to say we need to move on from Will that that's done. He's back, should be back. Happy that he's back. Good for him, but that's reality. He's back, um, no question about it. Um, South Carolina gave up 468 total yards. But Georgia, who averaged 250 yards rushing. It's held to 173. That's the difference. Second to the turnovers. But that was big. Was absolutely big. Um, so, look, you know, we, we, we looked at it, and, and even with some struggles against Tennessee and Notre Dame, the passing game hasn't been as sharp. That's going to be the determining factor of whether they can get in it or not, get back in it. The <clears> – <throat> Next biggest game, or the biggest game of the week, the biggest game of the week, was LSU-Florida. The result of the week was, anytime you have an upset of that magnitude, was South Carolina-Georgia. But LSU-Florida, first, I'm going to talk about Florida. Talked about, and, and I'm going to answer a couple of questions that was asked from last week. We've got a few, but one that kind of fits into this uh, mold of Florida. Chris, you talk about that Auburn was more talented. Well, it says that Auburn was better. Uh, I said Auburn was more talented than Florida, and Florida was able to win that game, as we know, in Auburn. Uh, there's uh, you know, the, the question I'm paraphrasing here is how I don't – 
understand it. It's frustrating listening to that. Um, when they win, how could they be better? Well, again, I think you're mixing a couple of things up. Being the most talented is not necessarily the best. The best is how you execute what you have. You can go in with the talent. You can go in studying the coaching. And, and how you execute it is ultimately going to determine. I mean, anybody thinks that South Carolina is better than Georgia talent-wise? No, they were better than Georgia and Athens last week. They played better, and we just broke it down for you. Why? It happens. Um, Auburn was not very well coached against Florida, got nothing done on offense against a very good Florida defense. And as I explained in last week's breakdown, I don't want to do last week's show again, but Florida was very crafty in their ability to get just enough out of their offense. Florida didn't do anything offensively against Auburn, but just a couple of plays and that's all it took. So Florida with less talent beat Auburn. That's coaching. That happens a lot. Forward to this week's game against LSU. Florida, I think, was a, with a very good game plan. For the first half, completely got the, the better of LSU's defense in that it was LSU's offense scoring quickly and Florida's offense in ball control, converting third downs, keeping LSU's offense off the field as much as possible and grinding it out to a tie game. Very well executed. Now, we know LSU's defense is is a work in progress going through some injuries um, most of the year, and they didn't have a lot of success early. So credit to Florida's offense. Florida's defense, which was so dominant against Auburn, and had a lot to do with what Auburn tried to do in attack. LSU's offense is that much better. And Florida could not cover LSU. Florida could not pressure LSU. Big reason why, their top two edge rushers were not available. <clears throat> the nigga and, and Grenard were not there. So that's a big factor. You also are dealing with a, a more experienced quarterback, really good receivers, and a really sophisticated passing game, which Auburn doesn't have. So – there, there is the issue. So I probably in this question, which you sent last, last week, hopefully this gives you an understanding now of kind of, you know, Florida's really good, and they're very well coached. And if they get their talent level up to where Alabama, LSU, Georgia is, well, as I said, Auburn just happens to be really good because they had so many of those guys that were draft prospects that came back this past year. Um if Florida can get the talent level with those, they're coaching-wise, they're, they're going to be a bear. But LSU's a little more talented, and I think we saw that. And, and we saw that while this Florida defense is good, they're not as deep, and they couldn't match up. Even their three good corners, and I talked about their corners, could be able to hold up. They, they couldn't hold up. No, they, they could. I thought they would be able to do a better job leveraging the pass game. They couldn't do it. They couldn't cover LSU's receivers hardly at all. I mean, 
Joe Burrow had three touchdown passes and three incompletions. I mean, it was almost perfect in terms of there was guys open on every play, and when they got pressure on Burrow, that's, that was the only salvation. So, listen, I think if you're a Florida fan, you should be – I'm not going to say you on moral victories. Florida's too proud for that, but <clears throat> Florida's got a good team, and they're very well coached. And we just talked about Georgia. Georgia better get its act together because while they may have more talent than Florida, Florida's going to be right there with them. That's going to be a lot of fun. We all know what the Jacksonville game is always about. But so hopefully that gives you an understanding that when I when I break down games, I'm not trying to discredit anything that any player team or coach or conference or whatever tries to do. That's why I have all these conference podcasts where I break down every team in every conference to try to take you inside the film room to to evaluate personnel, to evaluate coaching. It's important to understand why you're winning and why you're losing. But they turn the ball over four times. No joke. Why did you turn it over four times? What was the reason? See, that's what we do inside the film room as coaches and as scouts trying to provide some of that stuff to you. Now, if you're not, if you're, like, hypersensitive about, you know, everything's got to be the best about your team, well, then you're never going to learn anything because I'm not interested in who wins the games. I'm not even interested in predicting it. In fact, I hate predicting it because people think that because you maybe know more that, you're going to be right. That's why it's a game, and that's why you got to play it, and that's why you got to execute it. If I could know who would win the point spread, I'd be wealthy. All of us in football would. That's why it's gambling, because there's a lot of parameters that go into it and a lot of things that change on the fly. <clears throat> and, you know, I'm more interested in evaluating an understanding of why things happen and how that may pertain to the next game or future games, but there's no guarantee. I don't I don't have any crystal ball knowledge of who's going to win, of course. I don't. So, again, hopefully that gives you an idea. Um, but I thought Florida played well. That game against LSU went pretty much the way I thought. I thought LSU would be able to score points. I was a little surprised that Florida was able, again, offensively, to do as good of a job. But I never, never ceases to amaze me the job that Dan Mullen does. And uh, I heard somebody say something. I cannot believe, and it just goes to show you where sports writers are clueless. Somebody say something about what Dan Mullen that was the pace of the game. He had the wrong game plan. That's about as dumb a comment I think I've heard all year long. They, how are you going to play LSU? They've got really good corners, so you're going to run fade stop routes and take away the coverage advantage that they had. You work the tight end down the middle of the field, which LSU couldn't cover for a while, and I thought it was a great game plan. And you control the ball to try to at least limit LSU's possessions. Could you imagine if Florida couldn't have stayed on the field for some of those drives in the first half? It might have been down 14 at the half instead of tied. I, I thought it was a really executed game plan, and I, I think LSU's better. I think if they'd lined up and played again, um, well, first of all, if 
Florida has their two healthy defensive ends. Hey, let's go up again. Let's see where it goes. But, you know, I think I think LSU's a little more explosive. And, you know, certainly in Tiger Stadium was, was an advantage there. Now, from LSU's standpoint, LSU has got tremendous rhythm on offense. I thought it was the best performance by LSU's offensive line. Again, <clears throat> aided by the fact that Florida's top two edge rushers were not there. Still, Brawl wasn't touched. Brawl got the ball out quickly. And LSU's receivers won consistently against Florida's coverage. That says an awful lot. Made play after play after play. And LSU ran the football right at Florida. Now, again, a lot of it was getting defenders misplaced. Not a pure grind it out, but a pure numbers advantage. We can run the football with displaced defenders, and they ran it well. Clyde Edwards-Alaire was outstanding, and they ran it. And they had success controlling it. LSU only had the ball for 48 minutes. The formula was there for Florida. LSU's just, you know, better is related to that game in some of the personnel matchups that they had. I think it was a great defensive adjustment for Dave Aranda. I thought in the first half he was a little tentative about a, trying to attack with pressures. I think he wanted to see what they were going to able to do. They were not able to cover the tight end. Um, and they had some other problems with the fade stop prop. So I think he was really concerned about bringing an extra pressure and how it might lead to some big plays. I think he felt like they could do a better job in the red zone, and they didn't. So he was a little tentative. At the halftime, he decided, I've got to change up coverages. Now, this is some of the things that between series you've got to be able to do, but they they were not able to do it, didn't do it. At halftime, he did it. Change a little more cover to a little more cover one, some cover three, but more important, it's the pressures. He put pressure in the face of Trask, and it wasn't the same. I think he allowed Trask to get comfortable, and Trask played well. I think had he been a little bit more aggressive, it could have been different. But it could have led to some big plays. Here's the thing about blitzes. Everybody wants to blitz. It's not whether you blitz. It's about how you execute the blitz. That's the real key. And if you don't execute it well, you're going to be in a world of hurt. You're going to give up a bunch of big plays. But I think making sure, and again, it wasn't so much the blitzes. It was a couple of stunts and games that they ran up front that got in Trask's face, and I thought that was the, the biggest the biggest issue there. Um, <clears throat> where does it put LSU? I think LSU-Alabama is going to be very intriguing. Very intriguing. We're going to get into that more and more as I jump off to talk a little bit about Alabama A&M. I think the race between Alabama A&M is, uh, is going to come down to what defense can improve the most. Who do you trust most from a coaching standpoint to get more out of your defense and what running game can have success? Because what you want to be able to do in this game, we know it's score, score, score. You need to be able to score but you need to be able to have some sustained drives. 
and you need to be able to limit <clears throat> what that opposition can do with their offense. Um, right now, I'd give a slight edge to Alabama. LSU had their best performance from their offensive line. Alabama, by the way, had their best performance of the year. Um, you can look level competition, whatnot. A&M's got a pretty good defensive front. And considering Florida's injuries, um, I thought Alabama was able to do a really good job in the run game. So we'll see. That's going to be an interesting matchup. We'll have plenty of time to break that down. Um, Tua continues to play well. Had his first pick, though. Um, they control the game pretty early. They're making plays on special teams. That's another advantage there. Um, I, I think A&M's you know, trying to work the pass game with Mon more and more and not using him a lot as a runner, probably to the detriment. I, listen, I don't think A&M's not lost a game that surprises me. They've not won a game that surprised me. They're pretty much where they are. But I think the offensive line was impressive for Alabama. The young defense played well. They had five sacks. They gave up some big plays. That kept A&M around a little bit. But the pass rush was better. So I think that's that's it wasn't the best performance by Alabama, but it was a really nice job getting better. Um, they got big plays. Terrell Lewis is really starting to play well becoming a really good edge guy. Anthony Jennings graded out well. So we've got the breakdowns over at LandryFootball.com. That's a reminder again. If you want to get an insight into football that's a little unique, go to LandryFootball.com, become a member. It's less than a magazine subscription. All the breakdowns from the college game, the program, we got it for you. But, you know, Alabama's got Tennessee coming up, and then Arkansas, and then it's an off week, and then LSU. So there's a you know, clear and, and, and LSU will have um, Mississippi State and Auburn, then a bye week, then Alabama. Um, Tennessee with a really good win. I'm trying to think what's better the, or, or what is bigger, the win for Tennessee or the loss being negative for Mississippi State. The defense for the Vols played very well. Um, they intercepted three balls. They did a great job defending Kylan Hill. Um, and then, of course, they had an injury to Brian Moore. They still won the game. So it's a really good performance. I thought Daryl Taylor did a really nice job. Um, but the pressure was the real key. They had ten tackles for losses. Uh, Nigel Warrior. Um, Tracy Rocker did a good job getting his guys to play well, play hard. Um, Hill was averaging 120 yards rushing per game. He had 13 yards. Mississippi State never could find any rhythm. Um, so really impressed by the defensive performance. How much of that was ineffectiveness just by Mississippi State? I think that's a factor. Mississippi State's got to figure out their quarterback situation. Um they're a mess on offense. But for Tennessee, they get a little confidence. It's a nice win. Um, but it gets tough, and it's likely going to be a blowout. Both Mississippi State 
is going to face LSU and have to deal with that. And then Tennessee is going to have to deal with Alabama. So it's not going to be real pretty. Ole Miss, um, I like some of the things that they're doing. Thought they would, you know, play Missouri pretty well. Well, they got down pretty early and then worked their way back in, but it was still Missouri. Um, I thought Missouri's offensive line played very well. But they ran the football well, Roundtree and Downing and Beatty. Really good. Really good performance on the ground. So it was one of those where you could see the inadequacies of Ole Miss's defensive front personnel-wise. They have been playing well, but that was an issue. Missouri's, listen, it's a factor. They're not a factor in the race, but they are. I mean, they're they're not eligible, but – they're going to have a lot to say about who comes out of the East. That is always difficult for Florida. And listen, uh, Georgia's got to play better to be assured that they win that game. Uh, but but Ole Miss struggled on defense. They got back into the game on offense. Thought Kelly Bryant was good for Mizzou. Um, I do think Ole Miss continues to have something when John Rice Plumley, the type of quarterback that you can run the football with and to run Rich Rodriguez's offense. So I, listen, I, here's the thing. I think there's some real positives about what I'm seeing with Ole Miss. Is it enough to get Matt Luke another year? I don't know. I don't know what that administration is looking at. Um, but we shall we shall see. I'm, I'm curious to see how they finish the year. Ole Miss doesn't have many wins left in their schedule. Arkansas, Kentucky. Kentucky goes in. Lynn Bowden, receiver, has to line up and play quarterback. Um, and they win. Chad Morris still hasn't won an SEC game as a head coach. Um, Bowden came in with some big plays. The passing game didn't do anything, really. But they ran the football. And I thought Arkansas played hard. Boyd ran for 134 yards. Passing game has done nothing. This is the amazing part about it. It's We know they're not good, but why are they so abysmally bad at Arkansas? Because they can't do what you think they would be able to do, and that's run the football. I'm, I throw the football. They can't do that very well at all. Um Hickson Starkle was like 12 for 17, 122 yards. I mean, they're averaging four yards a throw. They're not stretching the field. And Kentucky controlled the game, had the ball for 37 minutes, and just kind of drug them down and warm out. Ball game. Done. Really good win for Kentucky. Put a bad win again. Uh, excuse me, a bad loss again for Arkansas. You'd think, even on the road, in the circumstances, you get a win. Speaking of bad games, speaking of bad performances, what can you say about Vanderbilt? I think less said the best. This, um, they're going nowhere fast. What an embarrassing loss. 34-10 loss at home to UNLV. That is a Bad-looking football team. 
Uh, not going to make a bowl game. Vanderbilt struggling on both sides of the ball. Not getting good play at quarterback. They're doing a poor job in coverage. They're getting no good pass rush. Um, UNLV's offense hasn't had a pulse all year long, and they look like they were hitting on all cylinders. Really, really bad. Really, really bad loss. Um, quickly, some some standouts of the week. Joe Burrow, without question. Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, without question. Larry Roundtree was outstanding. Jamar Chase and Justin Jefferson, receivers from LSU, were outstanding. Kyle Pitts, unbelievable. The job he did for Florida against LSU. I thought both tackles at LSU, Sequid Charles in particular, played very well. Trey Smith did a good job for Tennessee. Deontay Brown did a good job for Alabama. Landon Young did a good job at tackle for Kentucky. I mentioned Terrell Lewis at Alabama. Did a great job getting into A&M's backfield. Um, Kaylawan Chason really did a good job off the edge for LSU. Jordan Elliott at Missouri, and Roquan Davis continues to play better. At linebacker, Jamar Watson and Errol Thomas did a really nice job. At corner, Israel Mukamo at South Carolina did a nice job. Shaheem Carter at Alabama did a nice job. Nigel Warrior did a good job at safety for Tennessee. Thought Christian Fulton was good for LSU. So, uh, interesting week, obviously led by the huge upset. So, where do we go from here in terms of the league? It's looking clearly like Alabama-LSU showdown. We'll see. LSU has got to... Hey, listen, make sure they don't trip up against Mississippi State. They go to Starkville. We know there have been some history. State's just not scoring enough points. And the reality is LSU is going to be able to score enough points to be able to prevent this from being much of a game. Um, Alabama's got Tennessee, as I mentioned, and Arkansas. So they cruise. LSU's got a little tougher schedule. They'll have Auburn uh, a little tougher. But... It looks like that's clearly where it's headed. In the East, a little bit more interesting now. Georgia, Florida, maybe a little bit more of a question mark. Missouri may have a hand into who wins it. It's going to come down to Florida, Georgia. Auburn goes to Arkansas in a get-right game. I would think Florida rebounds and probably takes it to South Carolina. I do think that South Carolina Going to have a little bit of a letdown. Vanderbilt, Missouri, not sure that's going to be much of a game. Um, feel bad for Kentucky between the hedges this week as this is not going to be pretty. Um, a game A&M needs to be careful with going to Oxford, taking care of business. No, this is not the game you can lose if you're Jimbo Fisher. This is where it becomes bit of a problem. So, not a lot of compelling games, to be quite honest with you. Alabama, Tennessee, boy, it's a far cry from what it used to be. Um, not even LSU, Mississippi State. I, I'm not buying that South Carolina look out. They're on a roll. They can beat Florida at home. I'm not buying that. I think this is going to be a very nondescript week, and I think the winner's will prevail. Hey, a couple of questions, but before we do, we'll run remind you about our good friends at 401k Generation. Again, Eddie Rojas and his team. You can reach them at 866-998-5879. 
Again, if you've got a business and you're interested in setting up a 401k for your employees, here's a guy to give a call. If you left the job and say you got that 401k and you wish you would like to roll it over into an IRA, they can help you with that. What to do with your money. That's that's where you want to go to find out where's the best way to go with your money, protect your investment. What fits you? What fit your personality? If you have any questions on money management, want to know about more about investments, call Eddie and his team at 401k Generation. You can reach him again at phone or text by 866-998-5879. Great guy, loves football. You'll have a lot in common, and he can certainly help you. Make just at least answer some questions that you might have. So either licensed professionals and can handle that. So a couple of questions here. Grant asked a question, and I answered this on the College Football Podcast, but I want to make sure that we address it here as well, about Ole Miss. Grant wants to know what the ceiling of Ole Miss is. He believes it can be a 7-9 win team with a 10-win season every four to five years. Listen, I'm in line with that, Grant. <clears throat> Probably a little bit less than that. I think I think seven to eight wins, I think seven wins consistently, you could do that. Because I think if you schedule correctly and you develop correctly, I think seven is realistically something you could do every year. And, again, depending upon your schedule and how tough you want to take that up, you can you can be an eight-win team. Nine wins, nine and three is one hell of a year for Ole Miss. And I think you have to have a lot of things that fall into place positively for Ole Miss and for other better programs in the West to fall in place for you to win nine games. Ten, you really need to have some things fall into place. It's doable. It's been done before. But, again, the circumstances have to align. Look, it's, I think it needs to be more of a developmental program Here's the thing. Hugh Freeze did a great job. I just feel so bad that he let Ole Miss down because he was a great recruiter. He's a really good coach, and he had a lot of dynamics going that could be as good as you can get done at Ole Miss. I think it needs to be you got to find your niche in recruiting and you got to develop them. You ask whose program is it most like, I, I would say Kentucky. Yes, Ole Miss has better overall football tradition than Kentucky. But developing players, having players that are good, maybe doing along the lines of what, I know, swallow hard here, what Dan Mullen did at Mississippi State is kind of what you want to do at Ole Miss. You want to really have a good coach that can develop players. And then if you do that, you can just take the little step up where all of a sudden you've got a really intriguing young passing game where then you maybe get a good quarterback and you can recruit the – then you got a good quarterback, you had a couple of good receivers, all of a sudden you're off and running a little bit. But, you know, what you had was some really good war daddies on defense. And they were factors. So you could get that done, it's going to get tougher. You know, Alabama's going to have to come back to the pack after Nick leaves. LSU's, you know, better program. Auburn is better – and if they continue to struggle, they'll make the changes they need to be better. And then the A&M's the program that has a lot of potential and even greater resources, Those and, and a lot better resources recruiting-wise, and that gives them a built-in advantage. So you're looking at 
being fifth, sixth, or seventh in the West on a regular basis. But as you mentioned, a given year, could you get there and be fourth or third? Yeah, it's, it's possible. Not, not realistic on a regular basis. John asks, can you speak on Missouri's postseason ban and what effect could it have on the East? Well, a lot of it. Um, you know, let's just say, for the sake of discussion, that Missouri beats Florida and Georgia. I don't think that's going to happen. But if they kind of are the de facto best team in the East, they can't represent, maybe go all the way, you know, and look like they're the best team, and they're not eligible, That's that would be the biggest effect. Where I think the effect they're going to have is just – they're going to be quite the challenge for both Georgia and Florida. They could be in the way for both. You know, so I don't think, obviously, they're not going to be a factor in winning it, but they could have a say-so in who does. I think that's the effect. But it could it could be a <laughs> – if they win everything going out, it could be a real effect because then basically you're you're knocking down a peg of other teams in the East – and you're saying Missouri's the best team in the East, and look, they can't do anything with the postseason ban. That's the worst-case scenario for the league, uh, but it's certainly something that Missouri would, would love to invoke upon its partners. Uh, based upon the offensive production you see on film versus LSU on Saturday night in a hostile environment, do you think Florida has a good chance to make it to Atlanta? They've got a chance. I don't know. I mean – I don't want to parch words. Yeah, they've they've got they can play with Georgia. Of course they can. I I think it really depends on how much better Georgia gets. Look, I'm going to say this again, and understand what I mean by this. Georgia's more talented than Florida. It doesn't mean that Florida can't win it, but I think Georgia's more talented right now. They're doing a better job coaching their talent at Florida than Georgia is. So, absolutely, they've got a chance. Good? Yeah, I mean, I'd say that, you know, if I were going to – I don't know how you say good or great or average. I, I would say that, you know, I wouldn't go – if I were going to use percentages, I'd probably go 55% Georgia. I mean, that's a that's a pretty decent chance. Um, so, anyway, that I uh, hope that gives you an idea. So, I, yeah, I do think that, that Florida is – Look, they've got some challenges. They've got some challenges against Georgia. They've got one against Missouri. And, you know, as we saw last week, you can't have the slip-ups. The slip-ups, the poor games, the turnovers, the mistakes, then any game becomes in danger of losing, regardless who you are. So uh, I think that um, I think Florida will be fine. As I said, in terms of the future, can you imagine them getting to the talent level that the top – two, three teams in the conference have. And, and Florida's talented. They've got a lot of talent. Don't don't misunderstand me. A lot of NFL talent, trust me. But there, there are a couple of programs, three programs that have got more. If they approach that level, uh, look out. Florida's, Florida's going to be really tough. And the future there is about, um, well, it's about as bright as it can be. So, we shall see. Hey, appreciate you joining us today on this week's edition of the SEC Football Show. Um, please spread the word about what we're doing. Thanks to TJ and everything that he's doing. Make sure you tune in 
to from the peak to the pit uh, podcast that you can find here at LandryFootball.com and part of the Big Three Roll-Up Network. Follow me at Landry Football. You can find all the podcasts there, all the information there, and go to LandryFootball.com where you spread the word on that because that's where you can get the detailed inside film room analysis that you can't get anywhere else. More detailed than we can get to here. Check out our other podcasts that cover all the other conferences, ACC, Big Ten, Big 12, Pac-12, ACC, Big Ten, Big 12, Pac-12, along with this one, the SEC, and our college podcast on Tuesday and Thursday, and the NFL podcast on Tuesday and Thursday. Appreciate you joining us. Talk to you again next time, everybody. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.